Welcome to season four of Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where we discuss important matters affecting the rural sector. Aspiring to unlock the potential of the rural economy, the Country Land and Business Association is the membership organisation that provides support and expert advice to landowners and rural business across England and Wales. listening and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered. Today we are uncovering biodiversity net gain in the planning system. The Environment Act 2021 introduces biodiversity net gain to the planning system in England. The introduction of mandatory biodiversity net gain in the planning system is expected in 2023 following consultation, publication and implementation of regulations. The new policy will require as a condition of planning permission that any new development should demonstrate a net gain of a minimum of 10% of the biodiversity value of the site, measured using DEFRA's biodiversity metric. Pleased to say that we are joined by Fenella Collins today, CLA Head of Planning, who is going to help us talk through the ins and outs of what this means for land managers and rural businesses. Hello, Fenella. Hello, Lizzie. Thank you very much indeed. Really lovely to have you on with us today. So let's jump straight in. What is biodiversity net gain and why is it so important? Well, biodiversity net gain um, as a concept is fairly straightforward. Um, What it is, is that um, any piece of land that is put forward for development, whether development through a planning application under the Town and Country Planning Act, or even as nationally significant infrastructure projects, there has to be a demonstrable gain in the biodiversity value of the land after the development is complete compared with the pre-development biodiversity value. And biodiversity value is is measured using an agreed metric um, and a plan is put in place to demonstrate how any reduction in biodiversity value will be avoided, mitigated for or compensated for on or off the site. Why is it so important? Um, Because um, it's, it's long been seen that development is actually one of the causes of the decline of biodiversity. Um, And although environmental assessments um, are already required, at a national scale, there are few development sites that don't have at least some impact on on biodiversity. Um, And indeed, the National Planning Policy Framework was amended uh, in 2018, following publication of the DEFRA 25-year environment plan, to include biodiversity enhancement as an aim. Um, So the biodiversity gain regulations will actually require the developer to either avoid damaging nature to begin with and or to restore or reinstate habitats that are harmed or to create new compensatory habitat to replace what was lost. Fantastic. So how will this actually be achieved and what is actually meant by increasing biodiversity value? Can we break that down? Well, it's, it's, it's going to be achieved. It's being achieved by 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 regulation. Um, the Environment Act actually amends the Town and Country Planning Act to make it a condition of planning permission in England that the objective of biodiversity gain is met. Um, and this objective states that the biodiversity value attributable to a development exceeds the pre-development biodiversity value by a given percentage, which is currently set at 10%. However, there is scope for individual planning authorities to require a higher percentage. Um, And 
planning authorities should be um, communicating this clearly to developers in local plan policies. Um, there are one or two local authorities out there who are, for example, requiring a 20% net gain. So the concept is already out there amongst planning authorities. It's now the legislation that's putting putting some legal force behind it. In reading more about this, this obviously, you know, we talk about the importance of this um, for so many different reasons, but this is a long-term plan, right? And at the very least, am I right in saying this should be the case for the next 30 years or so? Absolutely. Um, the um, requirements of the uh, 25-year Environment Plan and the Environment Act is that um, biodiversity net gain should be around for at least 30 years after the development has been created. And it has to increase biodiversity value. Biodiversity value is determined by by using DEFRA's biodiversity metric. Um, and this metric is going to give a standard value in biodiversity units for any area of land based on the extent and condition of, of the wildlife habitat on the land. Um, and it will include a cumulative biodiversity value. But what I think it's important to say today is that, that for CLA members, to they must note that if any activity um, carried out since January 2020 on land put forward for development has actually lowered the biodiversity value of the land, then the biodiversity value prior to these activities is used as the baseline. Um, and this was actually included in the in the Environment Act to try and prevent people from intentionally lowering the biodiversity of land that they intended to use for development later on, so as to try and lower their net gain obligations. So it's not going to be a license to trash. Really good point there. So once biodiversity net gains in force and planning applications will have to be accompanied by biodiversity gain plan, can you explain a bit more about what the biodiversity gain plan is and its outcomes? Well, the biodiversity gain plan is going to be an all-important document. Any application for planning permission is going to have to include a biodiversity gain plan. There will be um, small, uh, smaller developments which may not have to produce quite so much biodiversity net gain, but that's for another day. It's not coming in just yet. But for most planning applications um, that require planning permission, they will have to the developer will have to include a biodiversity gain plan, setting out how the biodiversity net gain is going to be achieved. And the gain plan will have to satisfy the planning authority that the developer is actually delivering a genuine biodiversity gain. The plan is likely to include how the development will minimize the impact on biodiversity on the site. It will have to include the pre-development biodiversity value of the on-site habitat. It will also have to look at the post-development biodiversity value of the on-site habitat and any registered off-site biodiversity gain allocated to the development and the biodiversity value of that gain in relation to the development. And it will also have to include any biodiversity credits that might have been purchased for the development. It's going to be important um, that then that the gain plan includes all of that because the planning authority has to approve the gain plan on the basis that they are satisfied that the relevant biodiversity values are accurate and that any off-site habitat is accurate and that any credits have in fact been purchased. And I think I know that, um, that uh, the government is intending to produce a biodiversity gain plan template um, as well as helping to develop model planning conditions, planning obligations and, and conservation covenants templates. And in fact, DEFRA is at the moment organising workshops on how to deliver the guidance to support biodiversity net gain. So there's quite a lot still to come out from the government about this. And I think that, you know, it's going to be required, 
a requirement for developers to keep up to date with 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 um, updated CLA guidance notes and all the rest of it. So how does biodiversity net gain interface with the planning system and national planning policy? The Environment Act has in fact changed the Town and Country Planning Act. There is now a dedicated schedule in the uh, Town and Country Planning Act uh, for biodiversity net gain. Um, and he's made other changes to um, the Town and Country Planning Act, notably around planning conditions and planning obligations. And what it's basically saying is that any CLA member expecting to put land forward for development or undertake development on their own land, um, they, it's important to be aware of the implications of of the, the gain plan for achieving planning permission. Because once the regulations are in force, um, planning authorities will be unable to grant planning permission for new development unless mechanisms to secure a minimum 10% biodiversity gain can be demonstrated through the gain plan. Um, and that's why the gain plan has to be submitted with every single planning application. So that's regulations, development control. As far as, nas- as far as national planning policy is concerned, well, as I've already said, the national planning policy framework was already updated in 2018 to include references to biodiversity net gain. And we're expecting a revised national planning policy framework to be produced uh, later this year, which may include even more references to biodiversity net gain. But as it stands today, there are several references to biodiversity net gain in the national planning policy framework. Um, in Chapter 11, about making use effective use of land, where it talks about wanting to achieve net environmental gains uh, for developments, and and most especially in Chapter 15, um, which is called Conserving and Enhancing the Natural Environment, there are several references to biodiversity net gain and delivering um, net gains and protecting environmental gains in those uh, planning policies. That means that um, because the National Planning Policy Framework kind of determines what will be included in a local plan, um, that um, the biodiversity net gain requirements at a national level will filter down at some point into local development plans um, against which planning applications will be judged. So it's important to remember that if you're putting in a planning application for new development, even if it's for on-farm development, that you will have to deliver biodiversity net gain through a gain plan. Yeah, really good to know. Thank you, Fenella. So could you talk more about the legal mechanisms for delivering biodiversity net gain? Well, there are three um, mechanisms as we as things stand today um, for ensuring that biodiversity net gain is delivered and maintained for a period of 30 years after the development is completed. Um, and these are... Uh, the use of planning conditions, um, the use of planning obligations or Section 106 agreements, um, or a mixture of the two, and the new legal structure that's been implemented through the Environment Act known as Conservation Covenants. Just to go into those in slightly more detail, in terms of planning conditions, um, these are conditions that are attached to a planning permission. The planning authority will attach planning conditions to planning permissions to ensure that biodiversity enhancements are implemented. As far as development control is concerned, as I've already mentioned, one of the principal provisions in the Environment Act relates to a condition which will be attached to the grant of planning permissions as a matter of law that ensures that biodiversity enhancements are implemented. And this statutory uh, condition is going to provide that the development in 
question cannot even be commenced. No spade can be put in the ground unless a biodiversity gain plan is submitted to and approved by the planning authority. Um, in terms of planning obligations, if a developer, for example, is unable to locate and secure an appropriate site on which an approved biodiversity net gain scheme can be created, this can often necessitate either a financial payment to the planning authority or an agreement to find an off-site location. And this is when a planning obligation through Section 106 of the Town and Country Planning Act will be used to secure a, um, uh, uh, a, a legal obligation to deliver biodiversity net gain. And then the other one, the new legal structure, conservation covenants, probably will come into force if a developer is not able to deliver uh, approved uh, biodiversity net gain scheme on the development site. And so it has to find an off-site location somewhere in the vicinity of the development. And the net gain is then secured with a binding conservation covenant contract. And the Environment Act has introduced cons conservation covenants as this new legal tool. I would say they are voluntary, uh, but they will be legally binding um, and they will be agreements between a landowner and a designated responsible body such as a conservation charity, a public body or a not-for-profit body to conserve natural or heritage features of the land. The Countryland and Business Association has been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. Through membership, you gain influence with government policymakers, exclusive and highly valuable knowledge on rural issues, unlimited access to tailored advice on all aspects of land ownership from experts, contact with specialist rural services and suppliers, and support from providers who understand your needs on insurance, healthcare, and energy. about uh, individual planning authorities you know, that can push for higher net gain. Let's talk about how local nature recovery strategies can assist in delivering biodiversity net gain. Local nature recovery strategies, again, another mechanism introduced by the Environment Act, which brings into being the requirement for local authorities to prepare local nature recovery strategies across England. These are going to actually map out areas of biodiversity importance and opportunity for delivering biodiversity net gain and provide a list of priorities for the recovery of nature in the local authority area. That said, it's likely that, that, that local nature recovery strategies will be developed by local authorities, but at a county level um, and led by local authorities. And they will be strategies which will be used to target where a local area biodiversity net gain is, is, is going to be delivered. In fact, the DEFRA metric uh, gives a 15% uplift score to new habitat created in areas identified as a priority in local nature recovery strategies. So they're going to be um, important strategies that um, will be used to target funding within the new environmental land management schemes, they will be referenced in planning decisions. And we have, at the CLA, we've been encouraging members, especially those who may want to deliver biodiversity net gain, to get involved in the delivery of, of, of local nature recovery strategies. 
So important strategies that are being created as we speak. So if it's not possible to deliver biodiversity net gain on the planning application site, will it be possible to purchase statutory biodiversity credits? Uh, yes, it will. Um, once the, um, the government um, introduced their own um, scheme for, for purchasing statutory credits. So yes, where it's not possible to achieve a, a required biodiversity gain through avoiding damage on site habitat creation or restoration, then uh, it, it's going to be possible to purchase a statutory biodiversity credit to, to achieve the gain. The uh, introduction of statutory credits um, allows developers to purchase credits directly from the government once the scheme is, is in place. Although I have to say that this is designed as a last resort where there's there really is no viable alternative um, and to avoid the creation of a bottleneck in the development system um, owing to a lack of registered sites available when biodiversity net gain is introduced as mandatory. But I think it's worth just pointing out that this is not the same as purchasing a biodiversity credit on the open market, which will in, in effect be the same as delivering off-site habitat. It's assumed that if a private operator offers credits to the developer, these will be registered on the uh, biodiversity site register in the same way as if a developer dealt directly with an off-site habitat creation. What I my last thought on statutory biodiversity credits or even purchasing a biodiversity credit on the open market is that I would strongly suggest that anybody thinking of taking um, about purchasing a credit should take their own legal advice before signing up to anything. Really good advice. Thank you. You talked earlier very briefly about biodiversity metrics. So tell us more about that, which, you know, it underpins biodiversity net gain. It, it certainly does. Um, and, and much, um, I mean, the biodiversity net the biodiversity metric, the DEFRA biodiversity metric, um, is is all about um, assigning a biodiversity value to a piece of land, um, whether this is land put forward for development or post-development sites or sites outside the development boundary that are used for compensatory habitat. The Environment Act, uh, again, mandates the use of the DEFRA biodiversity metric, um, which has been developed and has been tested since 2012. Uh, we're now on version 3.1 of the metric with several revisions and improvements in recent years. Um, but I have to say the metric continues to evolve. So it's very important to ensure that developers check to ensure that they're using the most up-to-date metric. Um, and for anybody who wants to look at the most up-to-date metric, it's available on the Natural England website. But the metric works by assessing the type and extent and condition of wildlife habitats using habitats as a proxy for biodiversity. So this means that instead of that, rather than attempting to measure the species or ecosystem services on a site, um, habitats, which are easier to assess and more stable, are, are being used instead. Um, and the metric allows a comparison between different habitat types using biodiversity units, and an area of habitat is given a value in units based on its extent, condition, rarity, importance. Um, it has a built-in weighting with higher values given to rarer habitats and to those in good condition. So this means that, for example, one hectare of broadleaf woodland, which has a high-value habitat, which is considered to be a high-value habitat, is worth the same number of units as, for example, six hectares of cereal crops, which is a much lower-value habitat. Um, the benefit, I think, of this approach is that it aims to combine some degree of flexibility with some inbuilt checks and balances to ensure the system is not gained. Um, and biodiversity continues to improve overall. 
um, you don't always have to replace habitats like for like, um, which can be hard to do, um, but you do have to deliver something of the same biodiversity value. The one thing I would just say is the metric requires a degree of ecological expertise um, to accurately record the type and condition of habitats on the site. Um, and so for this reason, certainly the CLA is suggesting that both developers and landowners would be best advised to seek expert ecological advice when using the metric to deliver biodiversity net gain. Fantastic. Tell us more about the Biodiversity Site Register and when is this expected to go live? Right. Well, the Biodiversity Gain Site Register, um, I mean, this really is something uh, for C as far as um, a CLA members are concerned, this is, this is an opportunity here for them to be able to use, uh, to put their land forward if they want to, um, for use to deliver biodiversity net gain. The register refers to an area of, it's going to, when it's live, it's going to refer to an area of land that's been designated to achieve biodiversity net gain, either under a conservation covenant or a planning obligation for at least a 30-year period. And the government envisages that the, the register will be a national record, and that means publicly visible, of all biodiversity net gain sites that are looking to, to, to deliver biodiversity net gain. Um, and though this is, this is aimed to try and help to ensure that the commitments within a gain plan are delivered and to avoid land being double counted as net gain for more than one development. We're expecting more uh, government regulations um, quite soon, which will set out exactly who can register land on the site register, the, inf the information that's going to be required to, to, to do that, and the process that will have to be followed. Um, the site register is likely to include the location of the land, the development to which it's allocated, and the work to be carried out, and who will carry out that work. And it will also include the biodiversity value that the land will achieve as a result. And we're still being told by DEFRA that um, the, the, the site register will go live in the spring of 2023. That is their aim. Fantastic. One to put in the calendar and to look out for. Yes. So when does uh, when does biodiversity net gain come into force then? We are still expecting the biodiversity net gain regulations to be published, but um, the government's aim is to bring it into force in November 2023. So not long. Yes, not long. So aim for spring next year and then we'll be looking for, the, for this. Yes, aim for spring next year for the site register, for those who may be wanting to put their land forward to deliver biodiversity net gain. And then for developers, biodiversity net gain becomes mandatory in November 2023. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Valala. That was really fantastic and a really wonderful breakdown, a helpful breakdown of biodiversity net gain and what this means for land managers and rural businesses. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been Rural Business Uncovered. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, cla.org.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. You have been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode.